Back to the ills of ambition. Okay, so this one, I had, I'll just give a, a credit right out the gate, a guy named Frederick Dale Bruner. Um, he, I just been kind of, and I, you guys know, I think I've been quoting him quite often. He's just written this commentary on Matthew. Actually, it's two books. Um, and it, it just really, really phenomenal. And I've just been reading him a lot, almost devotionally. Um, and I came across this passage in Matthew 20, 20, and, and we'll get to this passage in a little bit. Um, where John's mother asks for the disciples to be number one and number two at Jesus' right and left hand. Um, and his kind of thoughts and ideas on ambition um, really kind of spurred a lot of this teaching. So I want to kind of look at the si- kind of the sideways, and we'll get into the text a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this all together. Um, I want to throw out some words. We're going to do a little word association. We're going to do a little whiteboard time this morning. <clears throat> I'll throw out a couple words. And here's kind of what I want to ask you as you look at these words. Um, do you see, I guess, they're kind of human drives, and, and how, would you, how would you approach them? I guess in a positive way, in a negative way, what kind of association do you have with these particular words? Okay, so the first one, and again, this is just kind of off the top of your head, um, and I got to wait, because Brian and I had a little bit of this conversation, so he's, we had a little bit of this conversation last week, so he's actually disqualified from answering um, these 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 words, right? Um, the first word is this, jealousy. What do you associate that with? Good, bad? Positive, negative? They were oh, they were? Okay, Brian, you can't answer any of these first couple questions, okay? You just got to sit there and be quiet. Because okay, we talked about this a couple, I think, last week. Okay, so say it again. I didn't hear what you guys said. Negative. Normally bad, negative, right? Okay, how about this word? Integrity. Good, right? Um, how about this word? Anger. Bad, right? Just kind of these stock categories. One more. Ambition. Good. Okay, so here's an interesting thing about these words, right? These are, maybe we could call human drives, um, kind of what is underneath. And in themselves, they're neutral, right? So you can be jealous, but I can also be jealous of my wife, right? In the sense of, if another guy said, hey, do you want to share your wife with me? And I'd be like, yeah, we're not doing that. You know what I mean? There is a certain amount of jealousy, which the scriptures talk all about the time, about how God was jealous for his people. They were his people. They were his children, right? And he would say, no, I'm not going to share. I'm not, this isn't a polygamous relationship. I'm jealous for this particular person, right? Integrity. Integrity is kind of saying... Like, who I am on the inside corresponds with my actions, with what I do, right? Now, a real simple example would be, and again, this kind of, has anybody, I forget what it's called, but there's, there's an example where if you use Hitler or Nazi or any of that kind of stuff, like, you, you've lost the argument, you can't use, because once you, like, debase all the way down there, like, you just can't. But again, think about a man like Hitler, right? Did Hitler have integrity? I see Mark shaking no, and I see Brian saying yes. Was who Hitler was on the inside, did that correspond with his external actions, right? Hitler had integrity. Who he was on the inside corresponded to what he did. Again, and you guys probably see where I'm going with this, anger, right? And we think about anger as bad, and it's, 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 it's upsetting. But we understand that there's a righteous or a holy anger, right? You can be angry when you see injustice. You can be angry 
when you read about things in the news saying, that is not right. There is an emotion that comes with that that says, it shouldn't be like that, right? And you can kind of fill in your example there. Ambition, right? Ambition falls into this category, correct? Right? See, the issue with, with these sorts of, these sorts of, I guess I would call them human drives, right? They're not really feelings, they're kind of more drives, right? The issue with these sorts of things is, um, as Dallas Willard says, he says that the issue in our culture is these unchecked desires, right? So we have these desires of jealousy, you have a desire maybe of integrity, anger, ambition, but when they go unchecked, right, when they go too far, it's, it's that, that's where it becomes the sinful action. Now, ambition falls into this category. It is good to wake up in the morning and have a job to go to, to strive to go to that job, to be your best, to love your spouse or, or your kids, to pursue a life with Christ. But when does it come out, go out of whack, right? When does it go awry? When does it become an idol? Ambition is the word that I want to talk about this morning and I think ambition, and I don't, I don't know why I think of it like this. <clears throat> I was, the, the food image that came to mind with ambition, and I'll just share it because maybe this will be helpful for somebody. Ambition is a bit like toppings on your pizza, right? You want to have a few toppings on your pizza, but if you dumped four cans of olives on your pizza, it would be a little too much, right? And it would, it would kind of ruin that pizza. I don't know if that was for anybody and that's all you needed to hear from the Lord and you're free to go, I've released you. But it's a bit like that, right? Where you kind of can have, you can kind of have, a, you, you need some ambition, right? Who we got, some young guns or? Um, <clears throat> I thought maybe they were rec hall kids. You can have some ambition, but again, you have to be able to, figure out when it goes too far. Now, here's the problem with a lot of these things, right? There's a book called Renovation of the Church by Mike Carlson and, and um, or Mike Lucan and Kent Carlson. And he says that there's no way to talk about ambition without sounding judgmental, right? After all, who am I to know the thoughts and intentions of another person's heart? I am usually much deluded or usually delusional about my own thoughts and intentions, right? The inner motives that drive us all are a tangled web of sincerity and self-absorption, nobility and narcissism. We are seldom as bad as people say we are, nor as good, right? So the thing with ambition, as we talk about ambition, is you're kind of going into those deeper layers of human drives and motives and intentions where things can kind of get a little bit fuzzy. Another image that came to mind was, I thought about a piece of yarn, right? And ambition sometimes is like you're trying to remove those little threads or those little strands in a piece of yarn. They're, they're just kind of part of your DNA, but you, you're trying to remove the bad ones, right? Um, and so when we talk about ambition as we're talking about it, I understand that we're kind of talking in this, this intentions, motivation, human drive kind of subconscious level in, in some senses, right? So I would say that we're going to try and come in the side door of, of ambition and talk about ambition. Now, let's talk for a second about career ambition, okay? Career ambition. Because I think when I think about ambition, I think jobs, career, vocation, status is often what comes up. Maybe you think about a, a really driven Olympic athlete or some other thing, but I think most people would kind of park ambition into that career or that job category. Um, let's imagine this situation. 
you're at that cocktail mixer, right? You're at that party, that social gathering, right? We're that wedding where you kind of sit around some people and you got to make the dreaded small talk, right? Anybody ever dread those moments? Oh, good. I have a church full of introverts. <laughs> Weather's nice outside, isn't it? It's been hot lately. How cold has it been in the morning? And then it's hot during the day? It's crazy out here. I don't know what to... You think to yourself, oh, man. What's one of the first questions that always comes up? Oh, good, Donna. You know it. What do you do for work? Where do you work? Right? Um, and, and I always think, it's always interesting, because me, it's, I, I always try and kind of buck this trend, so I'll always ask questions like, hey, where you come from? How'd you meet your spouse? You have kids? What college did you attend? Like, there's great questions to ask, right? But for some reason, we default to people as if their identity ends, becomes located in their job, right? And we live in a culture, I, I, I would say maybe this is the ill when we talk about ambition, right? We live in a culture where it's all about what you do and how well you do it, right? See, one of the ways that you can, um, you can kind of feel ambition kind of pop up in your heart or in your soul. Have you ever been asked this question, right? Again, what do you do for work or where do you work, right? And have you ever felt insecure about what your response is? Has anybody ever felt that, right? So what do you do for work? And you're thinking to yourself, Man, if I tell him I'm a pastor, that's kind of a conversation stopper. Should I say I'm a stay-at-home dad? Well, that's kind of embarrassing. Like, who, like, are you just lazy? Or are you, you know what I mean? Or what, what are you doing here, right? Has anybody ever felt insecure when they said, like, what, what do you do for work, right? At some point in your life, maybe you've had that job, and you wish that maybe you were a weatherman <laughs> or a CEO. I don't know, this lady's professional wrestler. Has any lady thought, like, man, I'm going to tell him, like, I'm a professional wrestler, an author, a horse jumper, Right, um, and you can you can feel ambition kind of its ugly head kind of rearing its way in you when you have that sense of insignificance about your work or about your vocation. Right, it whispers you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you're not doing it well enough. Do you see? You can talk about ambition, I would say, but you kind of got to come in the side door to see where it rears its ugly head. Right, to see where it it moves. I like this quote from a guy named Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, and he says, you know, when we're frustrated by life's difficulties, afraid we're not measuring up, ambition whispers, maybe you're not doing what you were made for. Maybe your talent could shine brighter if you were doing something else. Anybody ever experienced ambition kind of whispering its ugly head in that kind of side door, right? Maybe you feel insecure about what you're doing. Maybe ambitions whispering, yeah, you're, you're, you, you would be a lot better if you did that, right? So ambition, again, one of those things you got to go through the side door to see this monster. Now, I want to look at this text in Matthew 20, 20. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple curses of, of ambition, and then we're going to look at the cure for ambition, um, what Jesus talks about. So if you got a Bible, go to Matthew 20, 20. Um, and we're going to read those eight verses, 20, 20 through 28. The curses of ambition and then the cure for ambition. I feel really like a real pastor. The curses of ambition and the cure for ambition. Like that's real pastor. Only real preachers can do that. 
That might be a little ambitious of me to say that. Sorry about that. Hopefully, hopefully you felt the sarcasm in that, in that statement. Okay. Um, the mother's request, Matthew 20, 20 through 28. The mothers of Zebedee's son came, sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, your passage might say, worshiping Jesus, asked a favor of Jesus, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those from whom my father, for those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them, and we could say, all together. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? So the first curse I want to talk about in this text, right, as we see kind of ambition, right? You got these ambitious disciples and they're coming up thinking like, hey, we're going to get those, those VP, those cabinet positions, right? James and John, mother, wants them to be the vice presidents, right? Wants them to be the secretary of state. She wants these high cabinet positions for her children. Um, Brunner says that, um, he says this, I love this. I don't think there's, I think we're, Joel, just we're the only, like, you know, parents of young ones. He says that pushy parents should hear a warning in this text, right? (laughs) And he, he just kind of puts this in there, right? Like, you have, like, these pushy parents that just are trying to push ahead for their children, right? So, Bruner says that. I just love that little kind of one-off. Um, but it says that, it says that the, kind of this beginning of the text, she comes, um, then came to Jesus, the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons, and she's worshiping Jesus, right? She's kneeling before Jesus. Here's what's important about this first part of the text. Um, just because she, and I would say myself too, or we as a church, just because we have a high view of Jesus, just because we bow down to Jesus, just because we worship Jesus, doesn't mean everything else is in order, does it? Right? Doesn't mean that everything else is in order. For this, I would say that kind of God becomes the means. Jesus is the means, not the end. What's the end for these two guys? It's the cabinet positions. It's the status, it's the titles, it's the right and the left. Now, let me talk about these expectations for a little bit. Um, Here's what I call the equation of ambition, okay? James and John, and then they got Jesus tagged in there. But the end is what? The status, right? It's that kind of becoming those elite members of Jesus' disciples, right? Kind of being those special ones, um, my sons have done A, right? Here's my sons, plus Jesus, so they get this status. I, I've been thinking about this. This um, I've been thinking about this equation, and we're just going to use a real generic 
right? And I would say kind of this B letter is kind of, again, you can kind of fill in God, Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit, right? That kind of fills in there. A, I've been thinking about this in my own personal life, right? Maybe A for you is, is, is you know, kind of the, the classics, the, the prayer, the reading, the Bible, maybe church attendance, um, maybe some sort of spiritual discipline, right? So you, you, take, you take kind of these sorts of things, right? And then you add God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we expect that, I, I don't know, I, I'm just going to put the word, I, I'll use fruit here. I'll say super Christian, right? And here's, here's why I've been thinking about this. Um, I, I, I know that in my, in, in my kind of past few months, right, I feel, like, I feel like this for me, like I've been, I've been kind of on this a lot more than I have been in the past. I mean, obviously, we're in this middle of the 70 days of prayer, I've literally been on my knees every day praying for whoever it is in the church, like on my knees praying, right? I've been reading the Bible. I've been reading commentaries, obviously. My church attendance is pretty good, by the way. Um, you know, this, some of the spiritual disciplines and practicing, right? So I've been doing all this stuff. Again, I got my God, my Jesus, my Holy Spirit. And yet here's what's so fascinating to me is I have not really... I don't feel like I've been experiencing this in my life, and I've been disappointed, right? Um, I, I, I haven't been getting that, that humility, that patience with my kids, that extra kindness, that joy, right? I have been very ambitious over here. So maybe we can say this is our ambitious, right? I have been very ambitious over here. I have been reading my Bible pray every day, and the grow, 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 I would say, has yet to show. You with me? What I've realized, though, is that what I was after is I was actually after this. I was chasing this. Instead of, what's the, what, what should be the end here? Jesus, right? Am I using the disciples in this passage, James and John and his mother, they wanted to use God, Jesus. They wanted to use them for the cabinet. You know, again, kind of jokingly. But they wanted to use God for those cabinet positions in the kingdom. What I've noticed in my life, as I've, as I've kind of been thinking about this equation of ambition, I've been very ambitious over here, right? Prayer, reading, church, spiritual disciplines, doing all this stuff. And again, my goal has been all the way over here. I want to be more fruitful. I want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. I want to be more joyful. I really haven't been all that interested in just getting a little bit more of Jesus in my life and being hungrier just for Jesus. Do you see how this equation messes up our lives, right? Um, one of the, one of the um, sermons I was listening to, this guy talks about technique. Let me talk about this in, in a different way, right? He says, technique is to modern secular culture what sorcery is to pre-Christian medieval culture. An attempt to master our worlds that are out of control. 
So technique would say, right? Technique again, and this so this is kind of this is kind of the EW example. Technique would say that if you, you listen to the right podcast, TED Talk, um, sermon series. Um, what else? What other examples that I have over here? If you if you do the right personality test, everybody's doing personality tests right now. So we have all these techniques, right? And you know, again, as Christians, we're gonna, oh yeah, God, you know, use it, speak through it, do this, right? And again, the, the idea over here is that you know, if if we do this sort of thing, then then maybe we will. Um, Maybe our kids will go to Stanford, I don't know, UCLA. Maybe you'll be able to retire at 50. You'll be able to travel the world. You'll lose 40 pounds, whatever it is for you, right? But we think that if we do the right technique, this is a big lie of secular culture. If we do the right technique, then we will get our goal over here. And again, we just totally skip the real goal of our life, the real goal of our Christian faith, right? Jesus, did you notice the first question Jesus asks the lady? For that, what is it you want? Right, this is the equation of ambition. Right, what is it you want? Do I want this over here? I want to be known as a super Christian, a patient parent, a super husband. What do you want? You want me? You want Jesus? You want the Holy Spirit? You want your technique to to make you this special person over here? Right. Jesus asks, it's so great. I mean, we kind of gloss over that question because we get it. Jesus just straight at the beginning, he says, he asks, what is it you want? And I think here's, here's my um, PowerPoint version. But again, we just, we just put the wrong emphasis on all this stuff, don't we? This is, when ambi- this is the side door of ambition. It puts the wrong emphasis in our life. And can you see Jesus barely squeaking in on that slide? Barely squeaking in there, right? Because we know that we need just... That, that, that shirt that's so annoying or, or mean, all I need is a little bit of Jesus and coffee or all I need is a little bit of Jesus and scrapbooking or all I need is a little bit of Jesus and whatever you fill in the blank, right? All I need is a little bit of Jesus because actually what I'm really ambitious about lies over here, right? And this, this kind of curse, I would say, of expectations Again, it's a side door. Jesus says in Matthew, as he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then what? Then all these things will be added upon unto you. Right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, go seek all the extra stuff over here. And by the way, I'll, I'll have a small role in that. He says, I want you to seek me, my kingdom, first. What is it you really, really want? What is it you really, really want? Um, Jesus, by the way, in, in this, I think he's so gracious in this, right? This is from Bruner's book as well, too. He channels the ambitions of the disciples without crushing it. He understands that we have ambition. He understands that there's some toppings on our pizza. He just channels it without throwing the entire thing out. He refines our ambition without ruining it, right? It's not wrong that I want to have fruit of the Spirit, that I want to be a better Christian, that I want to be more patient, more loving, right? But Jesus doesn't come and crush me in this. He just says, hey, Eric, 
let me just show you a simple equation. You're putting the wrong emphasis in the wrong place, right? He's, he's channeling my ambition back towards him without crushing it. He's refining our ambition back towards Christ without ruining it all, right? Isn't Jesus so gracious in that? So I would say that that first curse is this curse of expectation that if I do A plus God, I'll be C, right? And in this, in this, in this um, <clears throat> equation, he, he, just, he just makes us, refines our expectations and puts it back towards him. Is that enough whiteboard? Have I drawn enough um, random arrows and circles and <laughs> parentheses? We all got that? Everybody want to take a picture of that and save that as a screensaver on their phone? Good? Okay. I would say here's a second curse. I call it the curse of comparison, right? Now, I, I looked for some comparison photos, and, and this is the one that I, I really resonated with most. Um, <clears throat> anybody don't want to guess why I resonated with this one most? Huh? That's a good guess. It has nothing to do, by the way, with the females in the picture, or that they're females. There's the ladder analogy. Yeah, I like that ladder. What do you notice about the ladder? It's a race. It's a race? You like competition. competition. Okay, there's that, yeah. Here's what I really liked about this picture. How many ladders, how many rungs is this girl head? Huh? How many is she ahead, though, looks like? About half, about one, right? Here's, here's what the curse of comparison will always say, right? The curse of comparison, here's why I like this image so much, because the curse of comparison makes us look to that person who just might be one or two rungs above us, right? If you're in a job, so to speak, right now, you're probably not comparing yourself to the CEO of your company, you might not be comparing yourself, teachers, I know that you're out there, you might not be comparing yourself to the superintendent of the district, right? Who do you compare yourself to? Those people who might be one or two rungs up above the ladder or maybe one or two rungs below the ladder, we don't compare ourselves necessarily to, um, wrong way. We don't compare ourselves necessarily to, um, to, say, Jeff Bezos, right? Nobody's sitting at home thinking, like, man, if I could just be like more like Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, man, I, man, those guys, right? Again, we just spent all of our time kind of comparing ourselves. We're not comparing ourselves. Anybody go home and think, man, I'm doing so much better than prison inmates. I'm really crushing them right now. Like, seriously, those guys, you know, those people who um, are pimping women out on the street in Long Beach, dominating those people. I'm just doing... Right, So we will compare ourselves to those right above us, right below us. Right, We just keep our gaze. This is why I like this picture so much more. Right, These two women, these comparing, climbing the ladder. She's just a little bit ahead. Right, Notice in verse 24, back in the text, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant, they were furious, they were angry, they were upset with the two brothers. Right? We talked about anger, we talked about righteousness, we talked about, I mean, we talked about anger, um, and we said it's kind of a, 
the, the motivation behind anger, right? The drive behind anger is, is what matters, right? Why are these brothers, I mean, why are these ten indignant? Are they indignant because um, they're so much purer, so much more righteous? The commentators are brilliant in this, in this as they look at these ten and the two, right? He says, here's a commentator named Jack Kingsbury. He says, not because there the ten's motives were purer, but because they covet those same positions of honor. Right? Why are they upset? Because it's like, how dare, that is wrong for them to ask of such a thing of Jesus. We are so much more righteous. We would never do that. We're upset, right? They wanted that exact same thing. That's why they're upset. Good old Matthew Henry. The ten are not just angry because the brothers sought the promotions, which is the brother's sin, but the brothers sought promotions over them which is the tens sin. One more, Saint, or Christendom, uh, John Christendom, old commentator, as the two had asked carnally, asked sinfully, so now the ten are grieved carnally, are grieved sinfully. Are you with me on this so far, right? The twelve, really what's happening in this text, right? What ambition is doing, the side door of ambition, is they're just comparing themselves to one another, Right? The two are asking for these higher positions, right? And the, the ten are upset because they're asking for these higher positions because they want these same positions. They're not really comparing themselves. Who, who are they supposed to be comparing themselves to? To Jesus, to, to their rabbi, to who they're following, right? The curse of comparison, I think, works a little bit like this. It's so much energy and effort and time is, and I just have this image, is we kind of look around like this. We have this, horizontal, um, we have this horizontal comparison, right? We look around um, at those, and we compare ourselves to those Instagram adventures, to those Facebook pictures, right? What are those people doing around me? To, so here, I'll just be honest. Here's two for me, right? Here's one of the guys that I race with who's a little bit better than me, and I occasionally see his pictures on Instagram and think to myself, man, I'm... I'm, I'm like, need to get out there and train harder so I can beat this guy, right? I'm not comparing myself to a world Olympic mountain bike champion, right? By the way, here's my neighbor's driveway with a brand new truck in it, right? I'm not thinking to myself, man, I need that new Ferrari super, you know, whatever. Just like, oh, we, we look around, right? We compare ourselves. This is ambition, by the way. We look around at, at our neighbor's driveways, the Instagram adventures, that next office up right? Um, maybe the next surgery, the next vacation home, or the next neighborhood. We, we compare our children, what, what school they're going to. And again, it's subtle. The motives are mixed in there. There's some good things in there. But it's there, isn't it? It's that side door of comparison. When was the last time, honestly, and this was super convicting for me, when was the last time, honestly, we took inventory of our life and we compared ourselves to Christ, who is our standard, right? And we just looked at ourselves and we said, okay, Christ, how do I compare myself to you? In patience, in kindness, in love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, right? How much of our effort and time and mental space do we give to this right here, right? How much happens here? There's one other kind of level to this. 
I call it rel uh, relative or, or, or horizontal holiness. A lot of times, too, in the church, what we do is we look around at the people in the church, right? And we look at the people in the church, and as long as we're kind of somewhere in the ballpark of folks in our church, right? Not too bad. We don't want to be like the worst sinner in the church, right? You want to be that guy, but you don't want to be like that holier-than-thou member in the church, you know? Like, as long as we're kind of somewhere in between, we're good, right? Instead of, again, comparing ourselves to Christ, right? Kind of look and say, hey, look, you know, I, I don't swear as much as this person, or I give to the church, or, you know, I kind of, I'm a nice person, I'm patient, I'm kind. We just kind of compare ourselves to those around the church, right? And then we do this on a larger scale, where sometimes we look at, and we can kind of compare ourselves to other churches, right? Hey, well, we're not a consumeristic mega church, so we're, we're good, right? We're not a fundamentalist, you know, those Baptists, those fundamentalists, you know, we're not one of those churches, we're, we're okay. We're not a legalistic Calvinistic church, right? We're not a, a holy roller Pentecostal church. And we just kind of have this, come on in. What in the world? You guys see that? Two giant massive pizzas are showing up. I'm assuming that's not for us, but we might be, we might be getting blessed right now. I mean, those are like the big boxes too. Those are, did you, anybody see those in the window over there? Is that just me? You saw them? Um, <clears throat> But we just spend so much time, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to, this was, again, so much of ambition is just spent here, kind of comparing ourselves here on this level, this, this horizontal level. We, we don't spend enough time really just doing that inventory, that self-inventory, comparing ourselves to Christ, right? To Christ. That's a comparison we're called to make. Let me talk about the cure. Not the band, Brian. The Cure. Are you a Cure fan? Older I get, the better they are. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody Cure fans? Anyone? Mark, you're a Cure fan? Yeah, Brian? Um, the Cure to these curses. Here, here's the three-word Cure that Jesus drops on us. Three words. It's simple. Be your servant. We talk about comparison, right? We talk about expectations. We talk about ambition. Jesus gives a three-word cure. Be your servant. It's these three Greek words, estai, hymen, diakonos, um, and I don't even know if I pronounced that right. It sounded good in my mind when I was practicing it, but that could be, I'm not a Greek scholar at all, so um, I, I might have mis, mis, yeah, I might have mispronounced those, but just to be your servant. And here's, again, this is where Bruner was so brilliant, is, is he was just breaking down these words. Um, he says, you know, this first word, this kind of B word, um, what he says about this, and I thought this was really interesting, he says, he, he was actually quoting another, another um, commentator where he says, it doesn't describe a long interior becoming, right? He says that's the immediate acceptance of a way of life. So perhaps you've seen that, um, you know, or, or heard that kind of popular cultural myth, it's the journey that counts, right? So we're all on the journey. And yes, that's, that's true, what Jesus is talking about here when he says, be your servant, what Jesus is talking about here is it is an abrupt or an urgent shift in our disposition as disciples toward serving, right? 
It's not like I'm working on becoming a servant. Maybe one day when I'm 80, I'll be a servant. Jesus says it's, it happens like this as you recognize. If you want the cure to this ambition, he says you actually change your disposition in an immediate and an urgent way towards this, this action word. You become this kind of person as you realize what Christ is calling us to be. So he, he begins kind of with this, with this very, um, again, this urgent, this action word, be, right? And then he uses this word, your, and again, this is from Brunner. Um, <clears throat> Brunner notes this, that he says, it's not this pick and choose kind of serving, right? It's this plural kind of word. It's not James deciding, hey, you know what, John, that's my brother. I'm, I'm going to focus my energy on serving him, and maybe Peter decides, hey, you know what, James and John, those two guys, like we're kind of in the inner circle with Jesus. I'll just kind of, you know, serve them, right? Or, or maybe, uh, you know, John serving, you know, again, it's, it's literally service to all. The, the your, the pluralness of this word is Jesus is saying there's an abrupt change. There's an urgent change in your disposition. There's a change in your nature through the power of Christ. And you then become a servant to all, to all 12, to all who are present, to all of humanity, right? So he says, it's, it's everybody that you will become a servant to. You don't get to say like, you know what? Um, uh, Devin and Kat, they kind of bug me. I'm not going to really be a real servant to them. But you know what? Isan, I like her. She makes cookies, so I'll serve them. And the Glissons, they've been here since day one. I'll serve. We don't get to pick and choose, right? We get to humbly say that we become servants to all. Again, you want to cure ambition in your life? You want to see ambition gone in your life or, or channeled in the right way? You become a servant to all. And then he uses this last word. He uses this last word, diakonos, which is a table waiter, right? Table waiter. And really this word, the commentators say, it kind of has this very ignoble, ignoble, not noble, like incompetent ring to it. It wasn't a very a very high word that you would use towards somebody, right? Imagine you go to a restaurant and you get bad service. Who's been there, right? Bad service. And you know how you view the waiter when you get bad service? You're kind of like, dude, that guy, seriously, I don't know how he got this job or she got this job. They belong, you know, not in a restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? And that's, that's kind of this, this word that Jesus says we're to become like, um, at the beginning, let me, let me just kind of hone on this a little bit more. At the beginning, we had that kind of set up conversation where you go to the cocktail mixer, the party, the wedding, and you're talking about your job or somebody asks you about what you do. And imagine if you said, you know, it's kind of in this one of these situations, like, hey, well, what do you do for work? <laughs> somebody will get that. <laughs> or get tchotchkes, right? Uh, you know what I mean? And, and so I have, was it, 37 pieces of flair? <laughs> You know what I mean? And, and, you know, like you're in that kind of important thing. You're like, well, I'm, I'm just a waiter at Coco's or, or Chili's or Olive Garden. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that those jobs are shameful or bad in themselves, right? But you often don't go out to eat and think about yourself like, man, that person who's taking my order, I want to get a selfie with them when we're done because they are one of the most important people, one of the greatest people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get their autograph on my receipt from them. We don't think about servers in that manner, do we, right? We don't go out to eat and think like, wow, this person who's serving me, who's, they're just channels to get us what we want. They're just, they're just intermediary. And Jesus says that that's who he calls us to be, that servant, right? 
We don't get really a lot of credit, you know? Usually we tip them, a lot of times we tip them the minimal amount, right? We don't treat them with a lot of respect. Jesus says, that's who I'm calling you to be, right? This is what I'm pointing to as greatness. This is what I'm pointing to as a cure for ambition. And then he says one more thing, and I'm going to throw out one more word to you, because he says, you must be a servant, verse 27. Whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. He uses this Greek word, uh, doulos, slave. Um, Again, if you talk about an ignoble ring, this one is even worse. It was a very, very demeaning, humiliating word. Let me close with this quote from Mr. Bruner, since I've been using so much of his stuff this morning. Mr. Bruner says it like this when he talks about slave, and this will be a good spot for us to stop. He says, surprisingly, service is the key to the Christian teaching of work and leadership. Is that true? Right? It may also be the key to happiness. In Plato's work, Gorgias, right, this was written in 380 BC. Calicles, and Calicles right here, it's kind of like a placeholder for the entire Greek people. Right? So he has this conversation between these people, and Calicles kind of is, is representative of the entire Greek way of being, their mindset of their, their imagery. Okay? So he says, Calicles asks, right? so basically the nation of Greece, all the Grecian people, 400 years before Jesus, he's having this conversation, this imaginary conversation. How can anyone be happy when he is the slave of anyone else at all? Jesus turns this aristocratic ideal on its head, and in one of cultural history's dramatic reversals, he asks, in effect, how can anyone be happy unless he is the slave of everyone else? Culture so ceaselessly directs us in the exactly opposite direction. Remember those two ladies climbing the ladder? Believers must pray almost daily for the wisdom and the courage to go counterculturally down. But seeking to be a great downer, I kind of like how he played on that right there, in all imaginative service and with all created and charismatic ambition is so right that it comes close to being Jesus' definition of a happy life. I think that should be enough for ambition. Again, the kind of the curse and the cure. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let me close in a word of prayer and then we'll do a little discussion on that. Lord, thanks for bringing us together this morning and, and, and for this. And ambition is, again, Lord, as we talked about, I'm praying that you're speaking to people. Maybe they're seeing some ambition in their lives. Maybe it's in their career and their vocation. Maybe it's kind of personally the way that they try and maybe kind of over-present themselves. Um, Maybe that you're calling them to a little bit more humility, um, to serve those around um, them a little bit more, not to be so concerned with getting their own way. Lord, I just pray that you would, again, Lord, you have to be the one to do this. You have to be the one to refine us in these ways. Speak to us, Lord, my brothers and sisters, and show us, Lord, where we need to kind of Bring the ambition, where you want to channel our ambition, where you want to refine our ambition so that we may be more and more like you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. A couple questions. You know, maybe when we started off, and if you want to go back all the way to the beginning, yeah, what comes to mind when you think about the word ambition? You know, is it an Olympic athlete? Is it someone who's super successful at their career? Um, is it somebody who's kind of got everything all perfect? 
Um, where do you see ambitions and expectations at work in your heart and soul? Um, that first kind of curse, where do you see ambition and comparison at work in your heart and soul? Question mark. I really should, you know, do a little bit more spell check and grammar check before I put these up here. I'm sorry to, to all you. <laughs> oh, man. What does it look like for you to, you know, again, as Jesus says, those three words, be a servant. Maybe just think of a few practical things you can try today, tomorrow, um, this week. Be um, that immediacy, your plurality servant, or plurality servant, lowness. What word was, was kind of challenging to you the most as we, we looked at those words? Be your servant. Got it? Take a few minutes.